Well, good morning, Mount Pleasant. Morning. morning, everybody online and to everybody in Alma. We're thrilled to be together. God is simply wonderful, and I love to give him praise and worship. In fact, I've already made up my mind. Uh, for all eternity, I am never going to stop giving him honor and praise and worship. Amen? Amen. He's simply worthy of our praise. Welcome to this final week of a six-week series where we're uh, looking at something we've called rhythms. And this is us going to the gym as Christians, rolling up our sleeves and saying, Lord, do you have some things for us to be engaged in uh, that would be help us to live actually a, a bit closer to you? And so over the last several weeks, we've looked at the idea of you know, surrender, this regular phrase coming out of our mouth. Um, you know, your will be done. And, and I just want to, by way of reminder, like you can say that anytime. You can say that Monday morning going to work, oh dear Lord, your will be done. How about that for a way to start my week? Um, uh, we've talked about things like prayer and accountability and belonging to each other. We've talked about um, uh, surrender and it's really been fantastic. And uh, this week will be uh, our, uh, our final week in the series. We're going to look at worship, which is just fantastic. I just love to worship the Lord. Um, by way of reminder, can I simply say this? When we do these things, we're not earning brownie points, right? I mean, that is not why we do these things. Like this idea, like I prayed a little bit more, therefore I get forgiven a little bit more, right? I mean, that, that's just crazy nonsense. That's really not in the word of God because forgiveness comes through the person of Jesus Christ because of his work on the cross, which is what our next series is gonna be about. It's not because I think I did a little something uh, fancy or spiritual or super nice for somebody else or I gave a bit of money or I read a bit of Bible or I helped somebody do something. And therefore, you know, I feel like I could turn around to God and say, well, you know, you ought to be impressed now by the things that I do. I mean, it's just, Christianity just doesn't work like that at all. And so we want to rid ourselves of those things. And yet we want to engage in these things because what it is, is it is the working out of our faith. It's just normal, normal practices for normal followers of Christ to say, Man, I want to surrender to you, God. I want to speak to my Father. I want to pray. Uh, today, I'm, I'm going to worship you as a normal rhythm in my life. I'm going to be a part of I'm going to belong to the community of Christ. And I'm going to have accountability in my life. These are just normal, normal things. If we, do, if we fail to roll up our sleeves and sort of work out our faith, here's what happens to our faith. It just becomes this. Okay, It just becomes a bunch of information. Now listen, creeds and statements of faith are wonderful, but... There's got to be more to Christianity than mere information. Because what tends to happen, and perhaps you've met this person who's kind of following God, but it's all about the cognitive, like, you know, and they can get really hardcore where it's like, well, I'm just going to study ancient history and languages and all that stuff. And what happens very quickly, that person, I've seen it too many times, is it turns into arrogance and pride. Look at what I know. Uh, and listen, God is not mere information. And don't get me wrong, it's important to know what we believe. But there is a working out of our faith that accompanies that. Normal practices, almost like a scaffolding in my life and in your life to say, normal rhythms for me. And as I engage in these things, not trying to impress them, not trying to earn brownie points, I'm just going to live a life that's close to God, that I actually encounter Him today and tomorrow. You know, around the kitchen table, at the office, driving the car, uh, I encounter God. 
And so this final week of this particular series, we're going to look at worship. And as I look back on my own life, just personally, uh, although there are many ways, I think, in which I I try to approach God, like, you know, I open up His Word or we pray, all all these things that we've just mentioned. For me, worship has been like this eight-lane freeway of direct line for me to God. Uh, When I worship God, my experience has just been one of um, quick closeness with my Father. And, And so I just love, love to worship God, I, I feel as though it has really shaped me um, as I've been trying to follow the Lord. In fact, as a younger teenager, I loved music. I liked um, playing instruments. I liked uh, singing, and, and, and I really uh, got into uh, the piano. And I, I started uh, probably about 13 or 14 in particular, like kind of getting into the piano a bit. And, and for whatever reason, it just kind of clicked with me in, in terms of chords. I, I, I just got chords on the piano. And at the exact same time as I was just kind of learning chords and how to move around the piano, it was at the exact same time God was kind of doing some stuff in my life as a young teenager, and I was beginning to learn and love God. And I encountered, really for the first time in my life, like worship music, kind of the exact same stuff that we just sang a few minutes ago. And I'd sit down at the piano and be like, I think I could figure that out, and I could figure these chords out, and I began to play it, and I just loved it, because I just loved music, and I was beginning to love God, and so it just became this pattern, this rhythm in my life. Honestly, I would just play for hours and hours. In fact, it would be unusual for me in a given day not to do that, because I just loved it. I was drawn to that, and uh, it was really incredible what God did in me as I was simply sitting down at a piano singing a few songs. In fact, then I began to write some songs. They weren't very good songs at all, but I liked them, and they were like deeply meaningful to me. And then I'd find little bits of passages in the Bible. I'm like, oh, maybe I could put that to a song. And so I was just singing scripture and worshiping God, and it got to the point where I would just do this for hours and hours. I just loved it, so much so that I can remember on many occasions, it would be like quite late at night, 11, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'm not even joking you, my parents who were upstairs, this is what I'd hear, stop worshiping Jesus. What kind of a thing is that to say to your child? Like, I got to go to work tomorrow, okay, it's great and everything, and you love Jesus, but go to bed. It's time to get some sleep. And, and I, I kind of creep up the stairs, and, and off I'd go. What a great problem to have with your teenager, yeah? Anyone, anyone want that problem for your teenager? But that's what was going on in my life, honestly. And I can't really put words to it, but it was just a formative years of my life. Just, it just formed me. And I don't know that there's a formula to it. All I can say is, as I engaged with God and as I just, for me, music was something I just naturally flowed into, uh, it just seemed to give the Holy Spirit access to me. It seemed to give the Holy Spirit access to my mind and my thinking and how I spoke. Uh, and then the, the important stuff of like what's going, inside, going on inside a person, my heart and my soul. The Holy Spirit just had access. And church, that's what I want for you whether, you know, music or not music, uh, to, to worship him in, in a way where you would find yourself tomorrow, in the middle of the week, practicing this rhythm. Like, you do not have to wait until Sunday to say, well, that's the next occasion where I will actually worship God. Not at all. And that somehow in, in the rhythm of that, you would give access to the Holy Spirit in your life And all I can say to you is, as that young teenager, I felt like putty, you know, you slam it down on that thing, and and God was the potter. And he was beginning to shape me. And I think God can do that. I know that God 
can do that. In fact, I think God wants to do that, like right now in your life, today, tomorrow, this week. He wants to, he wants to move you into this rhythm of worship so that you can be a lump of clay. It's not a high compliment. <laughs> a lump of clay. He says, God says, now I, I can work with that. Uh, this expression of devotion, this giving of, of ourselves, of, of deep things within us. So what I want to do today is I want to share with you two simple uh, pictures from the Bible. Uh, and actually what they're going to show you is they're going to show you what worship can and will do in your life. First picture is a fella in the Old Testament that maybe you've never heard of before. His name is Asaph. And he wrote a few to Psalms. And we're in the 73rd one. And this is what he says. You'll see he kind of starts off with a bit of worship. And then you see, like, Asaph's got a bit of a problem here. Surely God is great to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. So there's a problem here. Well, what's the problem? Here it is. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph, this guy who's written the 73rd Psalm, he's got a bit of jealousy and envy going on. And many of you here would say, you had a a, a sort of an envy-free week. It never once occurred to you, not even a single iota of a thought, to look at somebody and to have any semblance of jealousy or comparison with that other person. You went through the last seven days just full of joy and peace, And uh, it never occurred to you to look at another person and to be jealous of them. It never occurred to you to say, you know, kind of wish I wish I had what they had. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their marriage. I wish I had their personality. I wish I had their status or their money. I wish I had their waistline. (laughs) I wish I had their hairline. I wish I had their byline. I wish I had their bottom line. I'd love to have that kind of money. Maybe your greatest rival, someone you really don't like at all, your nemesis in life. And this week you bumped into them and you're like, oh my goodness, I think they lost 25 pounds. They look great. Oh, they got the biggest whopping promotion of my life that I've ever seen and they got it. And I just heard that they married an ex-supermodel who's now a neurosurgeon. (laughs) And something inside of you just goes... Well, I'm just so thrilled for you. I'm just so happy. That's just great. Not a, not a semblance of jealousy at all. How about pride? How many of you have found your thoughts automatically, and this is what Pastor Aaron preached last week, just automatically just runs towards how can I wash your feet? How can I just be a servant? Just this automatic sense in you all the time just to say, I just want to humble myself around people who... Like one-upmanship, I'll just, I'll just humble myself in their company. No single thought of sort of ambition, but you know, not, not just ambition, but like selfish ambition. No single thought of, you know, in a conversation, you just pop a little sentence in that makes you look better. It kind of self-promotes you and puts you in the best possible light. Never occurred to you to do a thing like that. A bit of image management going on. I think the point of all this for Asaph and for us is that, you see, we come to worship God, and the truth of the matter is for Asaph and for me and for everyone here listening, is all that junk that I just described, it's going on in you. So it's this odd thing, you come into his holy presence to worship him, and yet 
the truth, like it is an honest assessment of you, is that all that stuff's going on in you. Comparison and jealousy and envy and pride and arrogance and, and self-promotion and image management, all these things. You come into the presence of God and you're saying, God, I'm coming in to worship you, but here's the truth. As I worship you, God, all that junk, man, it's in my head and it's coming out of every pore of my body and yet I'm here to worship you. And this is what worship will do. As you then begin to open your mouth, despite the fact that those things may be true in and of you and that you have actually expressed and acted towards other people in those ways, when you begin to express the worship of the King of Kings, what happens is you are now expressing what is an ultimate truth. It is a far greater truth than anything that describes you in a cynical or negative fashion, even though it's actually the truth, even though that's the case. You are beginning to give words to a greater truth, to an ultimate truth about the one that you serve and the one that you live for. It is a discipline. It is an exercise for those who want to be fit in the kingdom of God that is really, really necessary. It's a great thing for you to be about. I mean, you look at today. You are a waymaker, a promise keeper, light in the darkness. Praise the Father, praise the Son. I'm going to say praise to the Holy Spirit. Forever and forever, we're going to sing His praises. These are the words coming out of our mouth. So here's what happens to you when you worship. You bring all of that junk and we've got, all of us have got it. It looks a little different for every one of us. You bring envy and doubt and depression and grief and anxiety and jealousy and pettiness and unforgiveness and a lack of patience towards other people. You come to worship and you know what God does? He ambushes you. He ambushes you. You encounter the presence of God with all of that junk in your life and God says, now I'm going to get you. I'm going to grab you by the scruff of the neck and I'm going to make you have some face-to-face -face time with me. It's going to do something to you. You go to church. You leave, you know, an hour or so later. And you've changed. Not really sure how. But you've encountered the presence of God. And you actually brought your heart to Him. You honestly attempted to say, God, I, I'm going to give my devotion to you. You declare truth with your lips. And somehow, I can't quite explain it, but somehow, you're a lump of clay and the potter actually shaped you. But when I don't worship, when I'm in the middle of my week, and that never occurs to me, and that's not an expression in my mind, here's what happens. All that junk that we just talked about, it begins to become a little bit louder and more prominent. I now become anxious about tomorrow. I now begin to envy people because they have things that I don't have and I want what they have. I begin to develop a sense of entitlement. Not only do I want what they have, but I ought to have it. I deserve it. It should be mine. And that chokes off life in me and gratitude in me. I become negative quickly, easy to start judging other people and pointing my finger at them and thinking that they're worse than me. This is what happens when we don't worship. You become very quick to sort of say, I'm just kind of discouraged. And, you know, when setbacks come my way, I feel... Ah, I just feel defeated and all that. That's a non-worshipping mind. Anyone ever felt those thoughts? Okay, just me. <laughs> what kind of mind do you want to have? What kind of life do you want to have? And Asaph, in this psalm, 
you have to tip your cap to him because at least he's, he's fairly honest, isn't he? I mean, he's full of envy and arrogance. And he's basically saying, look, there's a group of men and women and I hate them. It's in the Bible. He's like, I hate these people. I have no love for them at all. I hate that they're doing well in life. By the way, how messed up is that? Jesus, I love you, and they don't, so I hate them. <laughs> I think that questions how you really love God. I don't know if that's adding up at all. And so he actually goes a little further into it, and he kind of gives this litany, this list of things that he's ticked off about. Verse 4, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong, so they don't have any pain. They look sleek and sound and fit, and yet, God, they're unfaithful to you, and I don't like that. I, I don't, maybe I'm not like that, I mean, they look like they're people in the front of a magazine. Verse 5, they're not plagued by human ills, so they don't seem to struggle with the things that everybody else struggles with. They don't have any problems as parents or workers or with money or with health or with their parents. Or, there's, they don't seem to have any problems at all. Verse 6, Therefore, because of all these things going well for them, pride is their necklace. So because they have life so good, because everything seems to be working out for these people that I hate, they're now full of pride. And they don't even try to hide their pride. They flaunt it like somebody wearing a nice piece of jewelry. Like, hey, look at what I'm wearing. Do you like my rings? Do you like my, my necklaces? Do you like that? And they just kind of put it out there for everyone else to see. And over the next few verses, he just rattles off a ton of stuff that he hates about these people. I just bullet pointed a few of them. And it watched the crescendo because he just gets increasingly ticked. He says, they don't go hungry. These are his words. They are fools. They're a bunch of fools. They speak words with malice. Anyone seeing the hypocrisy in that? Because that's exactly what he's doing. They threaten to oppress people. I mean, this guy, Asaf, there's no doubt about it, he is like taking time out to examine these people. I can just see him with his little black book and a pen, like, oh, there's another thing I don't like about those people. Oh, look at that. Oh, see them last week? Do you know what they did? I heard they did this. And he's writing it all down. I mean, he's just, he's kind of gotten consumed, like microscopic observations of their life, just detailing everything that he hates. And, and the more he finds, the more he hates, it's just kind of compounding it. He goes on further. They're arrogant. They're opposed to God. He says, they know exactly what they want out of life. Not everyone does. They do. And then he says, and they're getting it. And I hate that they're getting it. He goes on further. Because they know what they're getting out of life, he says everyone else is turning around to them. And you know what they're doing? They're elevating them. People go up to them and like, you've got it all together. So they start praising them and sort of admiring them and lifting them up. And he's like, and I hate that too. And now we catch the crescendo of Asaph's complaints. Here's what he says. He says, they openly mock God, and I can't stand that. And then here, watch the accusation. He turns around, and at the end of the psalm, he says, God, why are you doing nothing? Why are you letting them away with this? I wouldn't let them away with this if I were you. Now, God's getting the blame. And now you're about to see what's really getting under his skin. He finishes off with this. And I do the right thing. I'm faithful. I don't do those horrible sins like they do. But my life isn't peachy. In fact, my life is just plain hard. I don't have what they have. 
Wow. In the Bible. Verse 13, and look at where he gets to. It's a dark place. He says, surely in vain. In other words, this was the biggest waste of time. This come to nothing. I kept my heart pure, and I washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, he actually says, every morning, I find new mercies, new grace, every morning. This guy couldn't be further from, the, from that. Every morning, I wonder what new, fresh punishment is coming my way today. I mean, he's cynical. Should we turn all that around on us? See what that looks like. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> we'll take a hard pass on that. I go to church. I give money. I tithe. I could keep that to buy things that I want. I read my Bible. I help other people. I don't commit those sins. And yet, look at them. Look at the car they drive. I don't drive that kind of car. Look at the things they get to do. Look at the clothes they wear. Look at the places that they get to go to. I'd like to go to those places. And it's actually very beautiful. It's a turning point right at the very end of the psalm. You see for Asaph, it's kind of hinging. If we're just kind of, where, which way are you going to go, Asaph, on this? Because you're just, you're going down the wrong road. You, you could point this thing towards life, and it's, it's right there on, on hanging by a thread. Everything with him right now is dark, and it's despair. Verse 17, until I entered the sanctuary of God. So until I encountered his presence. And he says, in that place, I actually understood. It was in the presence of God that some sanity actually came to me. I actually understood correctly. He's coming into the sanctuary of God. He's coming into the presence of God. And it's fairly obvious, like there's not a happy bone in his body. But look what happens to him in the context of worship, of encountering God. When he begins to practice and train in a rhythm of worship, he says this, when my heart was grieved, and my spirit embittered that which is obvious. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. So he's getting very honest. Look, I, this is crazy what I'm doing here. And then he says this. Yet, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. It's the first glimpse of something positive that the guy said. Yet, I, I know that you're always with me, God. And despite all of this junk that's going on in me, you'll take me by the right hand and you'll hold my hand. It wasn't until I finally consciously entered the presence of God and encountered God, encountered His goodness, and devotion began to come up out of me in worship. It wasn't until that moment till my thoughts and my feelings began to do this 180 degree turn. And the way I looked at people and the world and the way I even looked at myself and how I was functioning began to be tipped upside down. It wasn't until I worshipped until I actually began to gain a sane mind. You see, when... I worship, my eyes are opened, and that junk that we're all very familiar with of arrogance and pride and image management and envy and, and hatred and malice, all that stuff, it just kind of gets kicked to the curb when you're in the presence of God, and you actually get perspective. In worship, you realize, I'm not alone. 
I'm, I'm encountering stuff and I'm uneasy with it and it's incredibly uncomfortable and I don't like it, but I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in all of that struggle that goes on inside me. And God, I trust that you actually guide me and you counsel me. I'm giving faith. I mean, this is the activity of faith. This junk is going on and yet I'm going to now declare that there is a more ultimate and a greater truth than just describing the angst that goes on inside of me. And so God, I will take you by the hand I will look to you like a parent and a child. I would ask you to treat me as a child. Would you please take me by the hand and lead me because I'm wandering in the wrong direction here. And, and as I worship you, I, I recognize I'm with you. I'm not alone. And you're going to guide me. You're going to take me by the hand like the child that I am. Second picture brings us to the New Testament. And there's two fellas here. One guy's called Paul and the other fellow's called Silas. Totally different scenario. They're out on the streets and they're serving God. And they encounter a very dramatic situation. It's a girl, a young girl, and she has a demon. And they actually cast this demon out of her. So pretty sensational stuff. Big deal. And you would think, surely everybody would be like, don't see that every day. That's amazing. Thank you for what, you know, you would think the girl would be like, man, you've changed my life. In fact, it's, it's anything but that. The whole crowd is ticked off with them and angry with them for what they've done to this girl and they actually turn against them. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 16. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates, so this went pretty far, ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet into the stocks. This is a bad day. <laughs> I mean, you've got to let your mind go there. Sometimes I think we read this stuff, you're like, okay, that happened to them. Like, seriously, they're just doing what God has called them to do. They actually do something incredible. They set this girl free. And they take their clothes off them so that they're naked. They beat them with rods. The word is that they were severely flogged. And now they're in an inner cell. So high containment. Uh, honestly, th the conditions would have been, so would have been stone. They they're in a stone cell. They're in the darkness. What do you do when that happens to you? Like they would have been bleeding. Physically bleeding, right? Their, their arms and their legs are, are locked up. I'm not trying to be crude at all. They probably would have had to soil themselves. It's late now. What, what do you do when you're black and blue? Well, let me show you what Paul and Silas do when they're black and blue. Verse 25, it's midnight. Paul and Silas, here's what they're doing. They're praying and they're singing. <laughs> Anyone else here, is that, a, is that a first reaction when you're black and blue? Do you know those times in life when you are overwhelmed and life has kicked you in the teeth? Is that your automatic response? It's so shocking. You see the other prisoners. It just says this. The other prisoners are just listening to them because nobody sings in prison. Nobody sings at midnight, black and blue and bleeding in prison. And here's the defining choice that you can make. This week, whether things are well for you or whether you're black and blue, you have a choice to make as to whether or not you will worship God. It says they were doing two things. They were praying and singing. 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 What a thing to do. 
you're going to have times this week where you do not feel like worshiping. It's the last thing on your mind. You're driving in traffic. It's not sing-song time. You're like ticked off with everybody. When things are going wrong, when work is upside down, when you are overwhelmed, when you're having a bad hair day, and the last thing you do is like, I just want to worship Jesus Christ right now. This week, uh, some tit-for-tat argument with your spouse, and you turn around, you're like, you look just like your mother, and you know the response is generally not, let's worship Jesus. I mean, that's not what we tend to move towards at all. You're single, you're going on a date, and you're like, it's going to be Mr. Right, but it's Mr. Terribly Wrong, idiot, and you walk away, and you're just gutted because you hoped, and you thought, and it could be, and it might, but it wasn't, and everything inside of you, there's nothing inside of you in that moment that just says, well, now is the time I'm going to worship Jesus Christ. Sometimes, here's the truth about me, <laughs> that I probably shouldn't say out loud, but I, I, you know, I tend to stand over there because the steps are there, and I pop up, and we're worshiping. And here's the honest truth. There are times on a Sunday, and we're worshiping, and I'm like, like, Alan, why don't you lift up your hands here? And I'm like, no. I'm not doing that. Well, why wouldn't you do that? I just don't want to do that. Pastor Alan, I'll be here all week. <laughs> why would I not do that? I am not moved to worship. I find myself paralyzed and stagnant. I find a hardness in me. And I'm like, open, would you stop it? Stop it, Alan. Lift up your hands for goodness sake and give your Savior praise and thanks. No, I'm not doing that. Okay, come on now. It's worship time. You're supposed to preach in a few minutes. Lift up your hands. Fine. I love you, Jesus. I mean, it's, this is junk that goes on inside of us. And I find when I'm like that, it's actually an incredible litmus test as to where I'm at in my walk with the Lord in that moment. And you know what else I find? When I make myself, God honors that. It's incredible. You would think God would be like, thanks for nothing. But no, he honors that. He's like, wow, you're rending your heart. When everything inside of you says, I couldn't be bothered. There's a psalm in the Old Testament that says, he's talking about your soul, this deep, deep place within all of us. He says, hey, soul, why are you so downcast? It's like you talking to you. Hey, soul, why are you so downcast? This place deep inside of you. And then it's like you talking to you says, put your hope in God. We actually, we... Earlier in our worship time, we actually sang this, um, Awake my soul and sing. It talked about a slumbering soul. Some of you, I want to challenge you right now, as worshipers, you are fast asleep. You are slumbering souls. And you need to look at yourself deep, deep inside. And you need to say, hey soul, what's going on? And your soul's like, I couldn't be bothered. I'm black and blue. And the last thing I want to do is enter into some fancy little spiritual rhythm of me trying to rend my heart and give praise and worship to Jesus. I'm just not up to it right now. You know what you say in that point? It's what the Old Testament says. Hey, soul, why are you so downcast? The soul's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, I'm just depressed right now. And then the scripture says, hey, soul, put your hope in God. Open up your mouth. Lift your hands up. Because I tell you this, there is a greater 
more ultimate truth about our king than anything of your circumstances or how black and blue you are. And so we respond to that. I don't feel like it. I'd rather wallow. I'd rather be miserable right now. Hey, soul. I mean, you're driving in the car, ticked off at somebody. What happens to you if in that moment... I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, oh Lord. Man, I do not want to sing that song right now. You're getting into work and it's passive aggressive politics and it's junk and you're overwhelmed and you can't get it done and you know you're going to have to stay late. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. He's going to start shaping you. I don't want to do that. I don't feel like it. I feel paralyzed in myself. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Something changes. And you can do that anywhere, anytime. If you do it that loud and admire, you're going to get some looks. <laughs> the, Dow don't, the Dow Jones drops 50%. Social Security runs out. You're unemployed. You're going through a divorce. You've lost a loved one. You're disappointed in life. You're disappointed with relationships. You didn't get the parents or the spouse or the children that you thought you would or that you hoped for, you have cancer. Nevertheless, I will worship. I will give him my heart. I will open up my mouth despite what is going on in my life. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He makes me tread on the heights. This week, when you are disappointed, when you are turned upside down, will you enter the sanctuary? Will you walk into his presence? Will you simply worship him? Church, worship, it is a discipline. It's going to the gym. It's lifting up those weights and it's doing some more reps. It is the expression. It is the activity of faith. When everything else points you in an insular, wallowed, self-pity direction, it is an exercise of faith for you to open up your mouth and to remind yourself of what is ultimately true, what is the greatest truth, what is even greater than any truth that is negative about yourself. You're deliberately following Christ by opening up your mouth and declaring what is true about your God. Yes, I believe it despite everything that's going on right now, that your faithfulness towards me is great. I actually believe it, God, that you will be my way maker in this moment. I believe it, God, that you are a promise keeper, that everything you said to me in your word is going to come to pass for me as I follow you and as I love you and as I 
I live for you. I believe that you can work miracles in my life. And I'm going to state that to be a greater truth than any other truth that's going on in my soul right now. I'm going to move out of paralysis and I'm going to cause myself to move to worship God. Because here's the truth. He is simply worthy of all adoration and praise and power and dominion forever and ever. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is majesty. He is our Savior. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead again. Do we do that half-heartedly? Sometimes. But more. Lord, I, I don't want to do that in a perfunctory kind of manner. I want to throw myself into song. I want to cannonball into the deep end of the pool. I want to rend my heart. I want to cry out. I want to lift my hands because of his goodness. I want to sing his praises. And here's the thing, church. If you will not, if you don't, because his name is worthy of such praise, the very rocks will cry out. Let's stand together. Let's worship.